Welcome. I would imagine that many of you who listen to these talks belong to churches that have faithfully preached the gospel for many, many years. But how can it be that such a church turns away from God? Or how can it be that a family which seems devoted to God can turn away from God? Well, in our psalm for today, Psalm 78, it explains that there are two possibilities. The one is that the people alive now and who are serving God now can turn aside, maybe following their own lusts and their own desires and failing to trust in God. And the other is that they can fail to teach the children to serve God. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. I present these talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. Today we're looking at the second longest Psalm. The longest is Psalm 119, but today's Psalm is Psalm 78. It has a brief title, Maskil of Asaph. Asaph was the writer of the psalm. A maskil means a teaching psalm. There is a lesson to learn as we study this psalm. And as we've already seen, the lesson is that we must remain faithful to God and we must teach our children also to be faithful to God. Verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Incline your ears, turn your head to listen. Give ear, listen to what I'm saying. He could have said, listen and pay attention to my law. This is the Hebrew word Torah. It really means teaching. Listen to what I'm teaching you. Study it carefully, verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Yes, we've learnt these things from the past, from those who've lived before us, from those who've followed the faith before us. And we must teach these things. We must teach them because they're dark sayings. They're difficult to understand unless people are taught they may never understand them. So Ataf, the author of this psalm, declares, I will open my mouth. I will explain them. We, we shouldn't keep them away from our children. We, we've received this from our fathers. We must teach it to our children. Verse 4 uh, and the verses after that. We will not hide them from their children showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and, and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Okay, what we've got here is the declaration that we've received the instruction about God 
from our fathers, from those who followed God before us. And therefore, we have a duty to take that message. We who follow God, we who serve God, and we must declare them to our children. The next generation, the people who live after us, need to know about God, our wonderful God, God who does so so many kind and good things. And this must continue throughout the years and throughout the centuries that each generation must teach the next generation how to serve God in the way that pleases him. And the purpose of this is verse 7 and verse 8, that they, the children, might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart right, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Okay, the fathers before in this psalm, when we had them in verse 3, they were faithfully declaring the message of God to the children. But here in verse 8, the fathers are a stubborn and rebellious generation. They're people who are not serving God. Stubborn and rebellious. They won't change their mind. They're turning away from God. Their hearts are wrong. Their spirit is wrong. And so the children, the new generation, the young people, need to learn the right way to go. Do you see what's happening here? We've got two sets of fathers. We've got people in the past who were loyal to God from our nation and people who were not loyal to God. And that's why we must teach the children, because they could copy the example of either of them. If children are like their parents, they could go the right way or they could go the wrong way. But it's so important that their hope should be in God. It's so important that they should remember what God has done. They should know carefully what God has done for their church, for their family, for their nation. It's so important that they obey what God has commanded. Because if the new generation, if the people to come, if the young people are to serve God, we must teach them properly. Verse 9 has a very severe warning for us. I'll read verses 9 to 11. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Okay, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Uh, Children of Ephraim, here it means the people of. Here it means people from the family of Ephraim. Ephraim was one of Joseph's sons. It was one of the tribes of Israel. So we're saying that the soldiers from Ephraim were armed and carrying bows. So they were carrying the best weapons they had at that time. 
and they went into battle. They went to fight a battle, this army from Ephraim. But they didn't fight the battle. They saw their enemy and they became afraid of their enemy. Therefore, they turned back in the day of battle. And because they turned back in the day of battle, it meant their enemies could chase after them and kill them. They were defeated because of their fear of their enemies. When did this happen? Well, we look in the history of the Old Testament and there's a few places where we think it could be, but we're not really very sure. Maybe this is a word picture. Maybe this is saying what it's like if you don't follow God properly. Because what does it say of these people, the children of Ephraim, in other words, the soldiers from Ephraim? In verse 10, it said they didn't keep the commandment of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot God's works. They forgot the wonders that God had shown to them. So it... <coughs> So if we don't keep by our covenant, our relationship with God, if we don't obey God's law, if we forget what God has done and the wonderful things that he's done, we are like the children of Ephraim, the army of Ephraim, which went into battle. And even though they had everything to attack the enemy, they were afraid and they ran away. If we don't follow God properly, if we don't trust God properly, then we're placing ourselves in terrible, terrible danger. No, we need, to, we need to remember what God has done in the past. We need to treasure up these things. And the children who've not seen these things themselves, we need to explain to them who God is and what he's done, what he's done in our lives, what he did in the Bible, so that they know to serve God and to trust God and not to become like the children of Ephraim. Oh, such wonderful things God did. Marvellous things, wonderful things, verse 12. Marvellous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. Okay, this is Israel's history. How did God set Israel's people free from slavery? Well, he rescued them from Egypt, where they were slaves. This is the time of Moses, the time of the first Passover. The field of Soan is referred to there. Soan was probably one of the royal cities of Egypt. So it's saying that God did wonderful things to save people from Egypt and from the power of the kings of its royal city, so on. What did God do? Verse 13, we've now got the account of the Passover and how God rescued Israel's people and he brought them to the Red Sea and he led them through the Red Sea on dry land. Verse 13, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In other words, the waters piled up on either side of them. They walked through by a miracle on dry land and then through the wilderness they went, through the desert. How wonderful 
the cloud, the pillar of cloud that led them on their journeys for 40 years through the desert. And at night, it turned to a pillar of fire, guarding them from their enemies, guarding them from danger. Verse 14. In the daytime also, he led them with a cloud and all the night with the light of fire. But if they were in the desert, a whole nation, for 40 years, how did they find the water that they needed? The desert is a dry place. Well, God provided it. Verses 15 and 16. He clave the rocks into it. Sorry, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Moses struck the rock, and there in the desert, water poured out a stream of water from the, from the rock, a miracle that God did to provide drink, to provide water to his people. And Israel's people saw this, they saw how God provided for him, for them, and were they grateful? No. Verse 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? So, they asked for meat. The word means food, the Hebrew word. Um, it could mean grain or it could mean meat. Um, they wanted meat for their lust, for their own selfish desires. This was not wanting meat because they were hungry. This was wanting meat because they lusted after it. They desired it. They were no longer trusting God. They were seeking to satisfy the desires of their own bodies. And they doubted God. Verse 19, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? In other words, can God provide food in the desert? They didn't believe God could do it. Verse 20, this is what they're saying in the desert. These people who God set free from being slaves in Egypt, these people who God was providing for. They said, Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? They're saying they don't believe that God can give bread. They don't believe that God can provide flesh. They don't believe in the power of God. Verse 21, therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. They believed not in God. They wouldn't believe in the God who'd rescued them. Salvation means rescue. They'd been rescued from Egypt. They'd been saved from their lives as slaves, and yet 
They didn't believe that God could provide for them in in the wilderness, in the desert. So God is wrath. God becomes angry. And there was literally a fire that burned the edges of their camp. Verse 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. God provided food for his people. He provided them manna, the wonderful food. It tasted like honey and like coriander and like wafers. It was good food. God provided for them there in the desert by a miracle for 40 years. He sustained them with this food. And this miracle was repeated daily, apart from on the Sabbath day, which God had provided for with a double blessing on the previous day, the corn of heaven, the grain of heaven, it's called here. And verse 25, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. And that word meat there, uh, as I say, it can mean grain. It could be referring to the manna or it could be referring to what we'll read about next. Man did eat angels food. A beautiful way to express it. The King James translators did love beauty in language. Um, The Hebrew is man did eat the food of the mighty. In other words, they were eating prince's food. They were eating the food that great people eat. They had luxury there because God had given them that manna from heaven. And they wanted flesh also. They wanted meat also to satisfy their lust. What did God do? Verse 26. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. So the wind blew, and God sent flesh, that means meat. And it came down on them like rain, or, or like dust. It surrounded them. All this meat, like the sand of the sea, what was this meat? Feathered fowls. Uh, The Hebrew says birds with wings. This was the famous quail which God provided. Flocks of birds that were easy to catch and made good meat. And God provided it abundantly for Israel's people. Verse 28, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. Habitation means a place where you live. Uh, Their tents, of course, in the desert. Verse 29, so they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. But while the meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. Yes, God provided them with the meat that they desired, lustfully, their wrong desires, they were not estranged from them. 
They were not a stranger to their lust. No, they could eat as much as they wanted. But although God gave them that food, although God permitted them to eat it, he also made a judgment against them because they had refused to believe God. They had refused to trust in his salvation. They were turning away from God. They were rejecting his covenant, his relationship with their nation. They were following their own desires. And for that reason, in God's judgment, the fattest of them, it says here, uh, it really means it really means not the fattest in weight, but, but the strongest, the best, the most, the most able of them died in God's judgment because they'd given in to their lusts, to the sinful desires of their hearts and would no longer trust God. And did that turn them back to God? Verse 32. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. So God had killed the, the, the most impressive of them or, or God had permitted their deaths in that terrible judgment when they had received the quail. But did Israel's people, as they went through the wilderness, then turn to God and believe him and obey him? No, they didn't. And in those 40 years in the wilderness, they wandered. Yes, God still provided for them. God still looked after them. But no, they didn't go into the promised land, into the rest, the place of rest that God had for them. It did cause an effect, these judgments, but it was only a partial effect upon them. Verse 34 to 37. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Let me pause there. Uh, so they remembered that God was the rock, God was the one they should trust and build their lives on. And the high God, their redeemer, their redeemer means their rescuer. They were seeking God. They were turning and they were inquiring after him. They were praying to him. They were asking for his help. But it failed to have the heart change that they needed. Yes, they had a desire to please God because they didn't want judgments against themselves. But they didn't truly want to please God. Verse 38. For their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. I missed out verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. And they lied unto him with their tongues. They flattered him with their mouth. They spoke words to praise God. But their hearts didn't mean it. They lied to him with their tongues. These words of praise they were speaking to God, these words of respect for God were not in their hearts. Verse 37, their heart was not right with him. They weren't keeping to God's covenant, God's relationship with them. They weren't obeying his law. They weren't steadfast in his covenant. But God understood their weakness. The weakness of these people in the desert 
who he'd provided for, who Moses was leading, God understood them. He cared about them. And he didn't he didn't punish them as much as they deserve. Verse eight, 38, but he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Oh, God knew the shortness of their lives. God knew that all of those adults who left Egypt would die in the desert, excepting only Joshua and Caleb. He knew their weakness. And so he forgave their iniquity, it says in the King James Version. Literally, he covered it over. He, 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 didn't, he didn't carry out the full punishment that they deserved. He let them live so that there would be a future generation to serve him, so that there would be a future generation who would know him. But let's still think of those people who died in the desert. Let's think of them going those 40 years led by God through the desert with the promise of God to rescue them and to bring their nation to the promised land, the, pro the land of Israel. Yet time after time, they rebel against God. Verse 40, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. That word limited is a rare word. It only occurs here in the Hebrew Bible. It could mean that they hurt God. It could mean that they made him sad. It could mean that they limited him and they didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do in their lives. Oh, God wanted to show them such kindness that they, they remembered him not. They wouldn't follow him. They, they, they ought to have remembered. They had seen the things that God did to rescue them from Egypt. They'd seen the ten plagues that God sent upon Egypt. And yet they didn't remember how powerfully God had acted to save them. Let me read you from verse 42. I'll read a long section now in which uh, Asaph, the author of this psalm, records the things God did to rescue Israel's people from Egypt and uh, the ten plagues of Egypt, the ten terrible things that Egypt's people suffered uh, before they would let Israel's people leave. So let me begin with verse 42. They, that's Israel's people, remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt, and his wonders in the field of Soan, and had turned their rivers into blood, and their floods so that they could not drink. He sent divers, sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar, and their labour unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail, and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail, and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them 
the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like a sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So what we've just heard is a list of the ten plagues that Egypt's people suffered. Just going through for some of the phrases which you might not be familiar with, divers sorts of flies in verse 45, that's divers means different. So there were different kinds of flies which attacked Egypt's people. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar. In other words, their harvest, the crops that were growing in their land. Verse 47, the vines, that's the plant on which grapes grow for, for wine. Sycamore trees, they're a kind of tree that bears figs fruit for people to eat. Um, and then there's the evil angels in verse 49. Uh, some people believe that that means God's good angels who uh, cause something bad to happen. Now, uh, God is perfectly good. He never does any evil act. And my understanding of that is God permitted Satan, just as you read at the beginning of the book of Job, Job chapters 1 and 2, God permitted Satan and his angels to act against Egypt's people. And of course, the last of the plagues was the sending of the angel of death. God passed over his people. That's why we get the word Passover, to protect Israel's people. But the firstborn in every Egyptian family died. The chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham. Tabernacles means homes. It means the strongest in every family, Ham there is used, he's the name of one of Noah's sons, and Egypt's people came from that family. So that's why Ham is used for Egypt there. So God did this, this great judgment against Egypt, but he brings out his own people like sheep. He guides them like sheep, like a shepherd guiding sheep through the wilderness. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And now, at last, Asaph, the author of our psalm, will tell us about the journey to the promised land. And he led them, Israel's people, on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Another reference to crossing the Red Sea. Verse 54, And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand hath purchased. His sanctuary means his holy place. And we could think this mountain means Mount Zion, the mountain on which a temple was, God's holy place. But in fact, if you compare this with Exodus 15, verse 17, uh, you'll see that the reference here is to the whole land of Israel, as God's mountain and God's sanctuary, God's holy place. 
And so God brings Israel's people to the border of their own land. And then he gives that land to them. Verse 55, he cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. The heathen means the Canaanites, the original inhabitants of the land. God cast them out. He sent them away from that land to give it to Israel. And he gave Israel an inheritance by line. The line is to measure out each plot which each person received. And the tribes of Israel dwell in the tents, in the dwelling places of the heathen who've lived there before them. They take over the towns which formerly belonged to those Canaanites. God gave them the promised land. And in the promised land, did they serve God? In this long psalm, we're getting used to what happened now. You might want to pause the talk before we continue, or, or you might feel comfortable just continue and go on. Uh, but we're now going to read a record of what happened in the promised land. And I'm afraid there, Israel's people so often did not obey the true God. Verse 56. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. So we've got Israel's people delivered from Egypt the 40 years in the desert. And now God brings their children into the promised land. It's a new generation, young people who should have learnt that they should be serving God. But in fact, they turn away from God. Once again, they test God, they provoke him, they don't uh, obey what he has told them to obey. Turned aside like a deceitful bow. When you're firing a bow, as in bows and arrows, uh, obviously you're pulling it back with all your strength. And if anything goes wrong, if you pull back the string of the bow and it doesn't hold, it's going to spring back at you. It's going to cause you, who are firing that arrow, a terrible injury. They provoked God verse 58, to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. So Israel's people in the promised land, on the high places, they made altars to false gods. They worshipped false gods. They had graven, that's engraven, images. They made themselves idols to pray for. Verse 59, when God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. OK, we're now up to what happened during the life of Samuel. For many years, through the period of the Book of Judges, for centuries, Israel's people were in the Promised Land. Sometimes they served God and sometimes they did not. 
But in the end, God's judgment came once more upon them. God forsook, he left the tabernacle of Shiloh. This was the house of God, which God had told Moses to build in the wilderness. And Israel's people placed it in Shiloh, in the region of Ephraim. But God left that place in an act of judgment against Israel's people. And even the Ark of the Covenant, the sacred box, it was allowed to pass into captivity, into a foreign land, into the land of the Philistines. God's glory, God's greatness was in the hand of the enemies. You can read the account of this in 1 Samuel chapter 4 how the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And that was the end of the, the tabernacle at Shiloh. The priests moved it, to the, the, the sacred tabernacle, the house of God, to another place. And uh, the Ark of the Covenant no longer stood inside that sacred tent. God's people suffered greatly. And... Uh, the, the daughter of Phineas, Pincus, um, one of the sons of the chief priest, Eli, he died in the, in the war. And his wife, when she heard, she gave birth, but she gave birth prematurely. And she died in childbirth. And her last words were this, 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 22. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. And she named a child Ichabod, saying, the glory is departed from Israel. OK, the account of this appears in verses 62 to 64 of our psalm for today, Psalm 78. Um, let's start with 61. And God delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with their inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Okay, if people are given over to the sword, verse 62, it means the sword kills them. In other words, they die from a sword killing them. Uh, in verse 63, the young men are killed by fire and the maidens are not given to marriage because the men who would be their husbands have died. Their priests fell by the sword, so the priests die in battle and their widows make no lamentation. Lamentation means crying because they've died too. And as we saw in the passage we just referred to, uh, the, the widow of the priest died in childbirth with the shock of her hearing her husband had died. A terrible disaster in Israel because the people did not obey God. Yet did God do nothing? No, God cared about them. Verse 65 then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts, he put them to a perpetual reproach. 
Okay, so the word picture here, a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. Well, we might be thinking of a drunken man shouting out at the top of his voice. Is that an improper word picture? Well, Christ will return like a thief in the night. So we can't really complain about a mighty man that shouts by reason of wine. If one expression is prop proper, the other is too. But maybe this means that our mighty man, our strong soldier, has been refreshed by a drink of maybe the juice of a, the grape. And it's given him the strength to fight on and to fight fiercely. He smites his enemies. He hits them in the hinder parts. He attacks them from behind. He puts them to a reproach, to shame, to a perpetual reproach, to a shame that is continuous and never-ending. Yes, God acted on behalf of Israel's people. He acted on behalf of Israel's people. When is this? Well, surely this is when David overcame Israel's enemies on every side, including even the Philistines, who had so long been causing trouble for Israel. God managed, didn't manage, God powerfully acted to make Israel a safe place, a place where its people could be strong under the rule of David their king. And that's what the final part of this psalm is about. Moreover, verse 67, he, God, refused the tabernacle of Joseph, the tent of Joseph, and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, where Shiloh had stood, the place where the tabernacle, God's house, had once been. But verse 68, he chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth, that which he hath established forever. Yes, God decided that his dwelling place, his sacred place, his house, his temple should now be in Mount Zion, ruled over by the tribe of Judah. Mount Zion is the hill in Jerusalem where the temple stood. And he built his sanctuary, his holy place, like high palaces. So impressive, so beautiful this place was that Solomon, David's son, prepared for God to live in amongst his people. God was making his people strong again, and he chose a leader for his people. He chose a king over his people. Uh, verse 70 to the end. He, God, chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. One or two difficult phrases there. The sheepfolds, that's the enclosures where shepherds would keep their sheep. The ewes, that's female sheep. Ewes great with young. Well, the Hebrew actually says that these, uh, these female sheep have given birth and they're breastfeeding their young. So the picture here is of David, who as a young man was a shepherd and did look after sheep. 
and he learned how to look after sheep so carefully and provide food for the sheep and to protect them from all their troubles. And so God chose him, David, the shepherd boy. He would make him king over Israel and he would look after Israel's people like a flock of sheep. So God brought David to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. And so David looked after them with integrity, truthfulness and with skillfulness. He fed them, he provided for them just as he provided in the past for those sheep. He provided for the whole nation to become strong so that they would be able to turn back to God, so that they would learn of him and learn his ways and learn to follow God and to teach about God to their children and to the children that were yet to be born to their grandchildren. And, you know, David is often a word picture in the Bible for God's king, God's perfect Messiah. David couldn't couldn't permanently turn Israel's people back to God. There were so many troubles and disasters and turnings away from God that followed David in the, the centuries after he lived. But King Messiah is better than David. King Messiah will rescue God's people from all their troubles and from all their enemies. King Messiah will rule over all. Please write to me my email address, 333kjv at gmail.com. That's 333kjv at gmail.com. I hope you've enjoyed Psalm, 80, Psalm 78. It's the longest psalm which we've attempted in one go. Um, I'm now going to read through the entire psalm to finish with. Psalm 78, Maskil of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength, and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turn back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he hath shewed them. 
marvellous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Soan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as an heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And yet, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, that the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angel's food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations. So they did eat, and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while the meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them, and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God, and they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their Redeemer, nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away, and cometh not again.
How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy, how he had wrought his how he had wrought his signs in Egypt, and his wonders in the field of Zoan, and had turned their rivers into blood, and their floods that they could not drink. He sent divers sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar, and their labour unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail, and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail, and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, trouble, by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence, and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain which his right hand hath purchased which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them an inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not his testimonies, but turned back, and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers, they were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he had placed among men and delivered his strength into captivity, and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword, and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men, and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts, he put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, 
he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth, which he hath established forever. He chose David also, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skilfulness of his hands.